Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Yeah, we're uh, we're going back tonight, Mark. We're going back pretty far. It's it's been a while. Like we've we've been tiptoeing towards this region for a while. We've been really comfortable in the early two thousands, but today we venture back to the nineties. We're dipping into nineteen ninety seven tonight. This would be the perfect or, time for for the graphic of uh, Robin Williams saying, "Yeah." What year is it? <laughs> oh, oh, what year? What year is it? Can't remember. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, either it? that, or if we could somehow get um, an epic animated version of us running, um, oh. and with the the name of the podcast just rising behind us in 3D as the X Men 1997 theme just started blaring. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Already done. I just went from six to midnight. We started way too soon. Uh, <laughs> way too hot. But yeah, yeah. So 1997 with yet another retro review tonight, as we review a movie tie-in that's technically not a movie tie-in because it came out two years after the movie it was tying into <laughs> so this is definitely one of those cases where like someone plays the game and it's like oh it's gonna spoil the movie and it's like dude you've had two years figure your shit out i'm gonna say man it's 1995 i mean yeah it's mm-hmm. your fault that was the only entertainment we had what else yeah. were we doing mm-hmm. it's, it's movies and video games and that's it you yeah. know i mean tv this is still like the realm where like you probably got three stations if you lived in a rural area and one of them is if you had a family member brave enough to stand on the roof and move the antenna in the right direction. You know, when this game came out, my brothers and I actually hid certain channels on our TV when we used to live in the military base because we used to get the cable, Joe. The, the government mm-hmm. paid for it. Ooh. And one time my dad was watching HBO, even though we hid it, he somehow just found it. You know, I think he they heard somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he, he heard somewhere that it existed and he tried it and he was watching Braveheart and we walked down there and we go, dad, and he doesn't know that we know that he knows. So it was like deception on all sides, very much like a spy mm-hmm. game. Yeah. And he's like, they're like, dad, is that, is that Braveheart? And he goes, no, that's a documentary on Braveheart. <laughs> and we're like, <laughs> like, this does not seem like PBS to us, dad. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like everyone knows that everyone is lying to each other. It's the perfect, like <laughs> spy environment, which is, Mm-hmm. Which is why, Joe, I think it's it's very appropriate that we revisit GoldenEye 007 
1997 hit on the N64. Yes, yes, because this game, like it was, it was like the video game version of Monopoly, where it could straight up end friendships and and destroy families if you if you did this. I would say wrong, but I've been wrong. Like it just you just got heated. Like man, yeah. like this is I think like probably the first real multiplayer shooter that meant something. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Well, just think about the t- the time period. I mean, if if you were a young teen or even mm-hmm. you know preteen, didn't really matter what age you were. Everybody was playing this game. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was everywhere. And yeah. some of us enjoyed the multiplayer experience quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Others played the game and you know loved it just as much. But yeah, yeah, it was it was uh, it was kind of like what some people have equated to like the Apex Legends of today or mm-hmm. Overwatch of today. Even though I think it's a little bit different, but that's probably the closest thing you could bring it. You know, bring in an equal to. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not. It's not too big of a difference going from character to character in the multiplayer, except for one, and he's a fucking cheater, and we'll get to him later. Uh, but <laughs> throws a shoe, this... honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, before oh shit, before we dive in, mm-hmm. we have some business to attend to, as we typically yeah. do on retro mm-hmm. reviews. We wanna we wanna make sure that you're not just aware of what the soup is. We want you to actually feel like you're sitting in it, you know, stewing in yeah. there. You know, it's more than flavor. one ingredient in this video game soup or stew. You can't just have golden eye. You've got to pepper in some more spices and more flavors. Get some veggies in there with your beef. So yeah. this was not the only solid video game to come out this year. One, we already did review, and that was Star Fox 64, which we did very much love. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, we had what I think many would consider to be the finest of the Final Fantasies, and that is Final Fantasy VII. Mm. Even though was far from the final fantasy as we've continued on several times since then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the, it feels like it's someone's lying every time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just no. it's one of those things where it's like it's clearly like like we I, we've talked about the difference between Japanese storytelling and western storytelling and that Japan doesn't give a fuck about continuity. They just want to tell a story. So you're like, but wasn't the first one the final one? And they're like, no. No, no it's not. There's more. Sure. Your finality oh. means nothing to me. Yeah, it's like an old, it's like a couple arguing about like the husband going out drinking. It's like, no, honey, I swear this is the last one. It's like, yeah. you said that 18 games ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Soup's a meal, sweetie. This is it. This is yeah. what you get. Dude, I can't believe that, that one of these titles, Ultima Online, is still kicking. I mean, we covered this in our RPG yeah. uh, series back in season one. Mm-hmm. And how this is like one of the original like MMOs, and this it's stuff still going, man. Can you believe Which that shit? Just bizarre, considering like again, like one of our favorite games for with an online component was the Ghostbusters video game. Uh, yeah, and that got like what a year and a half of online content. But we're like, yeah, no, we'll call it. We'll be done with this. And well, freaking on, Ultimate on play- Online is like, no, we're unstoppable. We just Go- keep Go- going. The Ghostbusters on the online experience was only available for a short time for the PlayStation, but it actually yeah. lived on the Xbox for quite a bit longer. Son of a bitch, Xbox. <sighs> we got robbed. Ugh, we really did. did. Posed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and then, this is where the Grand Theft Auto series kicked off, was 1997. Yeah. hmm Yep, yeah. with its, this was the bird-eye view, Grand Theft Auto, hanging out. Yeah. Uh, so if you 
If you thought this whole thing started with a 3D experience, you're just a bit off. Mm-hmm. But Maybe also incorrect. we have a, a great entry in the Castlevania series with Symphony of the Night, um, mm. which, I mean, to my, my, uh, my great disappointment, I found out was nowhere near the Ballad of the Night that would be Power of the Night in Critters. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it was, it was perfect. It could have been. Like, there's, 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 there's monsters, there's scary things involved, Symphony of the Night, Power of the Night, and yet we get no Johnny Steele. Just wasn't meant to be, Joe. Robbed. Unfortunately. Totally robbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and then one of the other titles from this 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 year that came out was Abe's Odyssey from Oddworld. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you remember how like the Oddworld series somehow was like a a major series that I felt like nobody ever played? <laughs> that was the thing too. Like I remember like uh seeing commercials for Abe's Exodus and I'm like, we're still playing these games? Who's yeah. I didn't even play the last one. Who like, the hell who is this, this gent? Yeah. yeah. Like we're, we're over here going like, who the fuck is that? People in the UK are going, what's all this then? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who's, who's playing this here game? And it is probably, it's probably Bezos. Like with his, like he wasn't oh. rich at this time, but some sort of Bezos equivalent who's like, yeah, I know we're about to take that show off the air, but it's my favorite one, even though no one's apparently watching it. Let's keep it going. And someone with power just did that with, with the Odd World series. Yeah, seriously. I have, absolutely no idea yep mm-hmm. i got nothing <laughs> <laughs> oh but yeah dude mm-hmm. so back to your original point gold and i had already been out in, in theaters and distribution for two years by the time this video game comes out which to me i still can't believe it because that felt like like if we're talking about time travel right mm-hmm. this didn't feel linear i felt like the the two had always been around like time just felt fluid Mm -hmm. with the movie and the game didn't it it did i think maybe just because you know everything happened a little bit slower uh in the 90s so (laughs) we didn't have instantaneous anything we did have to wait um so in this case uh it's not like you know you can you can binge things on netflix because they'll just keep going or uh you can stream the whole thing it's like no you have to wait a week for the next episode and in this case it was yeah we got the movie two years ago but the game wasn't ready so we just kept going and we had to wait even longer. I, and the, and it's funny thing. It's not like the grosses were too low. The movie was, no. was quite successful. Very. And the fact that mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact that an adaptation took two years, you know, after that was incredible. But what I remember about this game that I really enjoyed or about the movie, I should say, we're not going to review the movie today, no. but it was one of the, uh, the, like the beginning of non Ian Fleming based, Mm-hmm. you know uh, james bond stories and this one i thought was really fun i, I always enjoyed it because mm-hmm. yes there's always something about you know the, the the spy mentality these spy movies they always tend to mm-hmm. follow a certain certain track you know we're, we're kind of yeah. used to it mm-hmm. but there's something about this movie that felt darker you know it just it felt like it had the necessary amount of spy game type of things in it but at the same time it it just felt like a darker film. the The story of it was great mm-hmm. because you're introduced to, of course, James Bond 007, mm-hmm. but you're also introduced to Al Travel or Trevelyan, I believe his name is, who is you know Sean Bean 006. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you have this like this relationship between spies that you haven't seen before, mm-hmm. and 
it's told in the shadow of like the last remaining possible breaths of the cold war yeah and so it just it just had a really solid feel uh and i i think they translated it incredibly well to the video game but yeah just just a great original story so we've got that going for us it is and then uh this is the start of the brosnan era of of the james bond movies where like you said there was a bit of a darker greediness to it but at the same time I feel like the Brosnan movies were a bit more playful in the fact that they emphasize different things as opposed to the the previous ones, like the emphasis on like the gadgets being just completely over the top over like how many things you can put in a watch and how many things you can somehow get into a this one where I think they were still using an Aston Martin. I think it's the next one uh, where they they switch him to a Jag and we're like, wait the fuck a second. He doesn't drive Jags. He doesn't drive BMWs. Um, so yeah. there was, it was a different feel. We got a different bond in this movie. I mean, not entirely. He is still very much with, uh, with women with promiscuous and provocative naming. Uh, so that still happens, but yeah, we change things a little bit with this bond. Yeah. And I, I gotta say this too, that of the Brosnan films, this was the only one worth watching. I'm yeah. sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest of them were were laughable, and we're not going to get yeah. into that today. But mm-hmm. what we will get into is the fact that this game was made by Rare, the yeah. same the same blokes that brought us the Donkey Kong Country series that we had talked about once again earlier this year. And so it's funny that they kind of come back into the fold here as we're a, a few years into the future. And really, what I think folks may not realize. And Joe, this is this is due in part because once again I read the credits of these games. Ever the reader? <laughs> yeah. Not for me. <laughs> you well, and your words. Hey, you know what? Some people did this. Maybe I used the whole cow when it came to the gaming experience, but mm-hmm. this game was directed by Martin Hollis, and he's a Cambridge educated basically like computer science genius, guru, developer, director, programmer. A lot of people that were attached to the development of this game gave Martin a lot of the credit for how it was developed, like how it came up, the initial concepts, right? What it was based on. And and we'll get into a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. But he is really the driving force behind this. Almost almost like how we talked about Russell T. Davies with the, you know, the the Doctor Who reboot. Martin's kind of in the same seat doing this, but just for, for Goldeneye. And so he ended up working at Rare for quite a while. He actually worked on the coin-operated version of Killer Instinct, which you might remember I told you a story about my triumph with the coin-operated Killer Instinct. (laughs) Yes, that one fateful night at a bowling alley where Mark would find unexpected glory. Just let it ride, baby. Yeah. Let it ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think at any point in time when, when Hollis was really trying to get this project going, people were like, I don't know, guys. It was a good movie, but it was two years ago. Maybe we should you know, look to the present or the future for this. And he would just insist that we keep going because I developed games at Cambridge. Like it was <laughs> yeah. some sort of acting thing. Uh, like it's the equivalent <laughs> of doing Hamlet at Cambridge or something. Like this is, this is where I am now. Trust me. Like, oh, well, he's confident and he's English, yeah. so it should be fine. He's got one of those capes that's over only one of his arms. It's like, that guy's going someplace, you know? Yeah, you know what this guy's got? Charisma. Yeah. 
You see that guy over there? That, that's Martin Hollis. That guy fucks. Okay. <laughs> Just remember that. Yeah, but yeah dude. <laughs> it, well, okay. So he's there at the ground floor, ground level, whatever you want to call it. And the reason why this game actually takes a little bit longer than would make sense, right? It's not technically a movie tie-in. It's two years later. <laughs> well, at that point in time, GoldenEye was developed and conceived potentially as a 2D platformer for the uh, Super Nintendo. Uh, mm -hmm. And so they were kind of going with this like, all right, well, let's just make this like a side scroller type of thing. You know, we're on our last days of the system. We've put out some bangers with the Donkey Kong series. Maybe we could make this into yeah. something, right? Mm -hmm. No, it, no, it did not work no. out. It did mm -hmm. not happen, fortunately. Yeah, because thank I God. think we would have we would end up with a rather rather forgettable game, or if not forgettable, definitely not the um, the milestone or the landmark that was GoldenEye for the N sixty four. I don't even want to think about mm -mm. it as a two D platformer. No. Mm -mm. Just just get it out of here. Get out of here get with that negativity. We got enough of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's it's. I think it's equally. A, a fun time, but also kind of depressing when you think about it. The Super Nintendo was a really, really solid console. You know, like yeah. there's a lot of fun titles. We talked about some of them on this program. And I'm not shitting on it. But at the same time, when the, when the Super Nintendo kind of reigned supreme for a bit, and then we talked about that downfall until Donkey Kong Country kind of revived it a little bit. Mm -hmm. By this point, obviously, the Super Nintendo is is deceased. Its body is no longer ready. No. Yeah, and the N64 mm -hmm. is now taking over. So I'm fine with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But, and especially, I mean, we never have gotten a slow-mo celebration of a child on Christmas Day with the Super Nintendo. <laughs> it just didn't have the hype behind it no. like the N64 did. No, but, you know, the hype that was building at this time, Joe, was mm -hmm. the fact that they were talking about advanced AI. We're talking about Ooh. some original story changes to the actual GoldenEye film mm -hmm. and really kind of paying homage to the series in a way by bringing weapons that we were, you know, obviously remember the Walter PPK, of course, being mm -hmm. one of the most obvious, but these are all kind of things that they made sure the game obviously features and none of it really takes away from the experience. Like you never overwhelmed by anything, it, you know, it all kind of made sense where they placed it, but Mm -hmm. One of the weapons that I always laughed about, and a lot of people have made fun of, of course, is the the scorpion, otherwise yeah. known as the the clob. The clob. The clob. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. uh, named it for name producer from... Ken Lob. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which the the part of it that I think is a shame is that the clob actually does have you know like an armrest that's folded over the top of it, that's mm -hmm. meant to you know fold back and then you know hold like a rifle. But of course, it's like a wet fish as a gun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's all yeah. over the place. You, you, there's, mm -hmm. there's no use for it. No, uh, it's too bad. But yeah, ultimately, though, GoldenEye 007 begins as a a Virtua Cop type of game. Like that's what they were conceiving this as, Joe. Now, did you ever play Virtua Cop in the arcades oh, back yeah. then? Mm -hmm. Love the Virtua Cop in the arcades. So, I mean. If they could have captured that, it would not have been horrible, but still, not the game we got, and for the better. I, well, I completely agree with mm -hmm. you on that. I mean, I don't, I mean, there's some value to some on rails shooters like that, like Virtua mm -hmm. Cop or 
Dino Crisis or, you know, and Area 51, like those games, they, they were all fun, but I don't think yeah. they were ever made to be played at home. Those are meant to be played I, so that you waste thing. your quarters. Exactly. And that's if they if they try to bring that into the house, it just isn't going to work. If they would have kept it where they did GoldenEye as an arcade, I mean, it could have done well. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it, uh, like being able to play this at home with multiple friends and not burn through like an entire like month's allowance worth of quarters. Yeah, it's that, that's, that's the way to do it. Well, because when we hit the nineties, like the age of the arcade is definitely, definitely at its, like got its deathbed. So yeah. it doesn't, doesn't hit like it would have, like it would have in the eighties. No. And this game was meant to hit differently and there's a couple of reasons why now one of the that we talked about the ai impact in this game right well part of that was fueled by this specific system development that they did where and, you, and you'll notice this if you go back and play the game i never realized this the first i played it whenever you fire a gun or shoot at something in the game Try to think of it in if you've ever done like one of those breathing exercises where like it shows like the little graphic where your breath, you know, rises and falls and the and the and the little like polygons kind of come in and out like this, like almost like a flower, right? That's like a Le Mans thing, right? That's what that is. You, you've <laughs> yeah. done that before, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you, yeah. You said someone as a father, I assume you said in those classes, and I'm I I haven't I have not experienced this sort of breathing <laughs> test, yeah. so that's all I can think of. Is it, it must be it, Le Mans. Well, and and that's a good way to visualize it for people that can't see the video version of this that I, I just use my hands to make like this little door hinge thing. But that's kind of what the the AI was trained to do in this game was that if you ever fired your gun or explosions or whatever, think of it like that that growing effect, right? Well, mm -hmm. each time you would shoot a gun, right? It would do this thing where the impact is felt, it'll die down a little bit. But if you fire too many times, that impact just grows outward even more. And so anything within that field that notices it is going to come running, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So you can go if if you're if you're using your silencer and you shoot somebody and you're quiet about it, that field becomes that much smaller. But if you're like me and stealth you know, is you, optional. <laughs> yeah, you have the maneuverability <laughs> of a pontoon boat. Well, then you start to realize, holy shit, there's a lot of people on this level. So it, it, it's it's a really interesting way to develop a game. I thought it was cool at first. I didn't, obviously, once again, know this the first time I played it. But upon, yeah, upon additional viewings, additional, you know, helpings of this game, I did start to notice that, yeah, if you were actually stealthy, it did pay off, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it is a probably one of the toughest pills to swallow that being sneaky is the most effective way to be a spy ever. <laughs> um because i mean in a much later world um when i remember uh watching my friend oz play hitman in college where he basically would would fuck up endlessly and be be caught doing a job and would have to then murder as many things as he could in the level uh that was just always more fun to me <laughs> it's yeah. like well now we have to shoot everything because we messed up the stealth uh and that's that, that that's my that's my philosophy just fuck stealth and just blow it all away but you know when you're a spy the whole espionage thing is meant to be hush house and a bit of a secret so it was it was the right way to go for this game 
uh, making it so there was a benefit to actually being quiet. Not that like it was impossible to do it our preferred way, but it was way better, way better for you if you actually tried to be a spy. And for the most part, you were, you were able to navigate levels, you know, with some stealth like applied. Yeah, you could get through most levels unless there's a timer. Of course, there are in a couple levels. Mm -hmm. But one of the early levels in the game, which was like the the uh, the gas lab level, you know, where you where you see unfortunately Trevelyan get shot in the face and yeah, you know, poor hardly knew you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that red red gas comes in. Well, that level was one of the first ones designed that had that on-rails potential experience behind it. And if you think about that level, Joe, it is really kind of close together. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. it's the effect of like reaching into the peanut butter jar and your knuckles get scraped with with that <laughs> that peanut butter on every mm -hmm. single inch. It's kind of like that like it's it's a very close together experience and it was on purpose because you were originally supposed to just kind of you know navigate through this mm -hmm. stealth didn't matter at all you know mm -hmm. so when you when people go back and play that level again just kind of look at the design of it because it's it's mm -hmm. not meant to be you know open exploration or any of that stuff you know it's fairly linear very close mm -hmm. together yep and do you think when they were designing that and right when when our 006 died they just thought you know what i think this is going to happen a lot for this guy in the future we're <laughs> going to take our time to make sure this really really works and you can see sean bean die in our game <laughs> uh, yeah because he doesn't die enough does he no he does not but i mean i don't think he will die anymore <laughs> yeah. i think after game of thrones he was like "Fuck this that's it my career is becoming a joke. I will not. Die. I will not appear in a film where I have to die ever again. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. for me, I think this was one of the first times I actually noticed him dying in something because, mm -hmm. you know, I hadn't seen a ton of. This was like long before I became a, a cinephile or whatever the name is now. Oh, uh, that just so, sounds dirty. <laughs> I know. I know. Sounds like it carries mm -hmm. you know probation and an ankle monitor, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but. Mm -hmm. Either way, so that's that's really yeah. what we're looking at. You know, you've got this game that has some different concepts kind of brewing within it. And one of the other ones that remains in the game that I do think is ridiculous is that you can see through windows and you can shoot at things through windows, mm -hmm. but nothing else can actually see through them back at you. <laughs> this was intentional. They I mean, intentionally did that. Mm -hmm. I, I just assumed all windows were just a, a like a two-way mirror sort of scenario where it's like, nope, nope, or one-way mirror. It's like, nah, we can see through this, uh, but no one sees in. Well, essentially, that's what the effect was. Because if you ever look through this game again, and if people go back and revisit it, yeah, nothing can see you through windows. So the developers did this on purpose to encourage, once again, that stealth uh, mm -hmm. style of, of you know exploration in hindsight, it's kind of ridiculous. It's like mm -hmm. you could you could see me clearly. Yeah, you could see me. It's it's like the classic. There's a guard, and you just have to do something, just barely get by him, and he he knows there's something's there, and so he just goes, "Ooh, there's something prowling around out there," and you're like standing right behind him, but he just will never know you're there because yeah, you're right? in some sort of bizarre blind spot that is is just you know. Like, like for any normal human being wouldn't be there uh so 
just seconds later after him now no longer being able to see through the window, just, oh, must have been the wind. And he's just right back to doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, at this point in time, these games really didn't have that kind of, well, at least the cartridge games didn't really have that kind of voiceover capability. No, they did not. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was very much like every Lego game where people are just like, huh? 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 You know, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was, there was no voice acting. So, no. it was, you know, Mm-mm. it is, it is what it is, but it is. But yeah, I just, I mean, I had to, I had to throw in some Viva La Dirt League there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was just, yeah. it was too brilliant of a time to pass up. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? One, I wanted to spend some time on this specifically because I don't think a lot of people realized just how different video game development was roughly 25 years ago compared to what it is now. Because we I mean, talked about, you know, Hollis, right, Be, yeah. being the director. Well, initially, he only had like three other people working on this game with him. So there was Mark Edmonds, the programmer. Uh, Carl Hilton, who was like doing all the background and uh, art design for that. And then there was B. Jones, who was the character artist. And yeah. so these guys built out the concept on their own. Mm-hmm. And... and they had to get to work uphill both ways, like, <laughs> walking every morning to program yeah. this game. Yeah, in the snow. Mm-hmm. Nothing but a, but a potato to warm yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. well, well, which is actually kind of funny that you mentioned that. So they didn't actually have like N64 software development kits to work with. Mm -hmm. So they had to use this like outdated, uh, we'll just sum it up as basically like a a beat up old GameCube essentially Mm -hmm. as like the, Mm -hmm. the test environment for this original build. So somewhere PlayStation's getting mad at them being like, Mark Edmonds did this in a cave with scraps. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're not Mark Edmonds, sir. (laughs) (laughs) exactly in the cave with the parts of scraps (laughs) well they essentially did man like Mm -hmm. when they were actually blown away when they did finally get their hands on n64 tech because they had been working in this environment that was so restrictive they had to do the best they could with what they had and then they finally get into the n64 environment and they're like what's this what (laughs) <laughs> what is what? this you know <laughs> we could have had this the whole time uh, hey yeah you know I, I think what this really goes to show is the ingenuity and mm-hmm. what people can accomplish when they don't have everything that they you know could possibly have for resources mm-hmm. um, and yeah. case in point they added multiplayer with six months remaining before the release of the game I mean nowadays granted I mean, the the complexity of, of the modern video game is much more than what it used to be. And um, with the just the level of even the visuals, it blows everything away. But this is something where if that was done today, like it just wouldn't release with the title and it'd be DLC months down the line. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about it was Edmonds was playing around with it and they said, yeah, see, see what you can build us here. And he essentially just took the single-player logic and tried to apply it to the multiplayer environment and, and really just copy-paste it four times or three times, however many people are playing. I mean, if, if the teacher doesn't care, just do it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Just copy and paste away. Hey, this isn't plagiarism. He made it originally, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not even homage at that point. It's just, you know, <laughs> using your work effectively. 
So exactly. So yeah, yeah, dude. Like rare. I I think once again, this is one of those home runs when you take a dedicated group of people, very intelligent people, and you don't get in their way and you you give them creative license mm -hmm. because that's what happened. Like they they worked really closely with uh, the the producers and the studios behind Goldeneye. They took actual uh, set photos, costumes, you know, uh, photography and all that stuff. And they applied it directly into the game, you know? So I, I thought they did an incredibly good job from that yeah, angle. Exactly. Because like, this is again, like it's a movie tie in. And I think a few movie tie-ins really stand out in the video game world. Like, like I can think of this and uh, Spider-Man, the movie being great, like tie-ins where you get to do like the things that were your favorite parts of the movie. So you feel like you are in the movie, but then they even add little extras that just extend the story for you to enjoy it even more. And yeah. this is one of those games where again, it felt cool while playing it because like you could be a spy, even though you live in the Midwest and will never probably ever be a spy. <laughs> uh, so this is the closest you can get to it. And it does a great job of making you feel that way. Well, let, let's talk about that for a minute, Joe. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the core experience of GoldenEye 007? You know, can you, can you explain mm -hmm. just just the overall approach, the like how the levels work? Like, just just let's just kind of break that down for folks. Yeah. So, I mean, you have like basically linear based levels. Um, so you could say it's basically a sandbox. You have these three D environments but you have specific areas where you have to go and areas where you cannot go. Uh, you have varying levels of difficulty, like every game at this point in time would, and they do, they do have fun with the names. You don't get easy, medium, and hard. Instead, you get agent, secret agent. And if you were daring and bold, you went double O agent. So you got that license to kill. Uh, which again, it's one of those things where even like having that fun naming changes like your, your attitude towards playing the game, because a lot of games, it's like, you know what, I'm going to play it just to play through it and have the experience. Others like, you know what, I am going to make, just play through. So I'm not, it's, it's challenging, but not frustrating, but this is the game where just by doing that fun, like changing of the difficulty, you kind of cop an attitude. If you're the double agent and your friend's just an agent, it's like, oh, you're an agent. What do you do? That means you do what? That means you can you can go get the rent a car for me. You're gonna pick up my Aston Martin, take it through the wash, give it to me so I can go kill some bitches. Yeah, yeah. You're an agent. Good job for you. They sell insurance. I can kill people. So <laughs> that was part of the fun to this game. And on top of that, even having the <laughs> I don't know the name of the process, but it looks like they took a picture of the actors and just kind of wrapped it around something. It stretched it a little bit, but it worked and you could see that they were there, which again, adds to the whole, like not only are you a spy, but you're a famous spy because you're doing the same spy stuff that was done in the movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, now on the topic of difficulty, what I thought was really cool here is that mm -hmm. the, the producers, developers of the game, we mentioned Virtual Cop was one of the influences. So was Resident Evil to an extent. Mm -hmm. And then, so is Super Mario 64. Yeah. So when you mention that that linear style of gameplay, yes, it's true. For mm -hmm. the most part, you have a start and an end to each level. 
can't really debate that part. But on Mario 64, now for those that maybe haven't played the game in a long time, you go into one level and you have potentially six to seven different objectives in it to be able to obtain the stars necessary to advance mm-hmm. to the next you know, part of the game. Well, the difficulty kind of used that same subject or that same idea. And so if you played agent, for example, you might just have to go A to B, mm-hmm. pick up an item or two along the way. And you're good. And, and move on with your life. Yeah. yeah but if yeah, you're at maybe, double... Maybe run to the store for some milk. But not asking for too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But don't get skimmed. God damn it. No, no, that's get the right kind. Skim is just water lying about being milk. It's fucking <laughs> disgusting. But but it's it's true though, man. Like that's that's what the the difficulty provided, right? Like it was a chance to not just make the overall experience more difficult, but then you also had, like we said, you pick up a key card. Mm-hmm. download data from a computer right disable all the alarms and if you failed at these things then it would lower your overall score at the end of it mm-hmm. you know mission failed so i gotta say i didn't i did end up playing the games on double o agent we did end up unlocking some cool things mm-hmm. wasn't easy no <laughs> but but you but that's how they they treated this game like you were rewarded for doing these different difficulties yeah. because there were cheat codes mm-hmm. and and also part of that again the the fun of that bygone era of gaming is that the whole game is on the cartridge and to unlock what would normally be behind a paywall uh in modern gaming you just have to do progressively more difficult things in the game to get it to earn it and this yeah. was part of that fun where like these days, like it sometimes just feels like you're grinding to get gear or, or to get an experience. But back then it was a legitimate challenge to get these extra playthroughs, to get these extra items, to get things that were even something as simple as like, even thinking like Mario Kart 64, you had to beat everything, every cup at 150 CCs to get the brand new like little title screen it's like aha you turn it on you have that title screen that's a flex to your buddies who couldn't do it so same thing here you get to earn these different perks of the game by beating it on more difficult settings yeah well and the Mm -hmm. cheat codes you know we obviously being invincible is a really obvious one that's difficult to get but mm-hmm. this is where people, uh, almost everybody got their hands on DK mode where you could oh, have yes. massive heads and, ar- mm-hmm. <laughs> and arms and all that. Uh, my favorite, because I would uh, play this game at people's houses all the time, I would always want to go for paintball mode. I just really enjoyed mm-hmm. paintball mode unlocking that because it was so oh, silly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, like, it, it became kind of a, a challenge within a challenge, right? Like you talked about, like, this is a full-ass game. You're not getting mm-hmm. half-assed content. Like no. everything's there so long as you were able to face the challenge. So yeah. and it's all kind of wrapped in this kind of bad to worse atmosphere, though, which also makes it funny. It's because you're never really comfortable. You get this this fog of the Cold War that the game is set in, um, the in-game fog effects and this really dreary sky are kind of always above you. So on top of like the fun, it kind of almost grounds itself in this grittiness uh, from level to level. I definitely agree with you because th- this was that era of gaming where unfortunately fog is used as a means to 
cut corners on processing power. Yes. You know, <laughs> like if so many games back then was like, yeah, you had like 10 foot visibility in like every game you would turn on. And, and Goldeneye was a little bit more of an exception. I mean, you mm -hmm. still had that game fog, but it was further away. But yeah. like you mentioned, there are other, like it just made the stakes feel so much higher mm -hmm. when you're playing in a level where like the sky is just really dark or it's, in some cases it's like red. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember the surface level where like the sky is literally red. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and shit's going down up there yeah you just don't feel comfortable at all playing mm -hmm. that i mean i i it, it creeped me out and i, I love that game mm -hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> but i mean it's true though i mean uh there's the, other, the another level where it, you're playing in the uh, streets of st petersburg mm -hmm. and you hop in the tank right and all that and that level is in that same type of like pandemonium like it's now that level some people who have played this game religiously might go fuck that level because it's really easy to get lost in the <laughs> yeah. streets of St. Petersburg mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're on a timer as well. So yeah, it's like, it all looks the same. Everyone speaks Russian. You got nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's got dash cams and, and no one's afraid to back down from a fight. So you're kind of fucked no matter what you do. <laughs> and bears everywhere. Yeah. On tricycles oh, yeah. or on unicycles. On yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I really do think that's, that's one of the strengths of this game. Uh, I mean, we are used to video games now, Joe, where mm -hmm. we feel invincible. Yeah. Right. Like we're, we're, we're we just talked about uh, Ezio Auditore and Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed and how he's like a one man army. James Bond for as effective a killer as he is, and he will kill again. He will. But he, dude, he's only got one, like one health bar going into these levels and there's no way to recover your health. No. And on top of that, you've got one joystick to move him around. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, not the, we, this is pre strafing world. Uh, yeah. So you've got the difficulty of one, not having the health available to you and two, uh, the mobility that you're like, if you go back and play this game, and you haven't done before. The mobility you're used to is much harder to achieve in GoldenEye than it is in a modern first-person shooter. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. nowadays we'd call it clunky, but back then, I mean, it was it was much different. A lot Top of us of the were line. yeah, we were used mm -hmm. to platformers and you know third-person games. We weren't mm -hmm. really used to this level of detail being available in a first-person experience. Yeah, and for that sustained period mm -hmm. of time. No, because I mean, like I think for for most people like the most solid first person shooter experience they had prior to, pre, uh, prior to this would have been doom and yeah. i mean not to say that like there obviously were others i think turok was around at this time that was a first person shooter um i don't know if the duke nukem titles were out for the uh for the playstation yet at this time but those were games where like if you didn't have access to them and getting like a regular amount of games at the time you probably had doom before this and this is quite the jump from doom yeah well it's even quite the jump for turok i mean mm -hmm. i i had turok i enjoyed that game but even for as good as it was it felt a lot clunkier in mm -hmm. comparison to this and so that's why i think while people still love turok it was a you know well-received game yeah this is the much more polished, oh. you know, and mm -hmm. the, the, the much more professional looking experience, you know, mm -hmm. and so e either way, I, I think one of the strengths of the game, though, 
because we talked about how it's a movie tie-in, right? Quote yes. unquote. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes a lot of liberties with the the storyline of the movie. And and I, once again, I know we, we mentioned we're not here to talk about the movie itself, but let's let's just take one one level as an example. So the very first level, the dam level, where James Bond mm-hmm. he's trying to infiltrate this secret Russian facility, and in the movie, it's a pretty quick sequence. Like oh, yeah. he, he he drops in, sets up his little zipline thing, and he jumps down into this dam. Well, the the dam level, you start off, you infiltrate it, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a ton of other things that you can do before you jump off the dam at the at the end of the level. And you and I have talked about this as it's a route through the difficulty. Mm-hmm. You can download, you know, data and stuff like that. And so there's, yes, it's familiar if you've watched the movie and you were just a fan of it, but they fill out a lot of stuff in between that you can do. And yeah. so I, I applauded it for that. Still do hold it in high regard because mm-hmm. movie tie-ins are frankly pretty shitty. Usually <laughs> like we're talking 9.5 times out of 10. You've got yeah. a really narrow window of good movie tie-in games. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's even like, because like at the same time, like you can understand, like I don't want to say understandable, but like we've we have heard um, from from other people that like like before, like now, movie tie-ins, like the actors do, like taking their role from the movie and doing video game with it is a fun thing for them now. But it wasn't always that, and part of that had to do with the fact that like the games were usually shit. So actually having the actors like be in them, like they usually at most of the time, I imagine like were contractually obligated to be there and they didn't really enjoy it because they knew the games were going to be crap. They were barely going to get played. But this was one of those rare cases where the movie tie in, uh, I'm sure if Pierce Brosnan could have voiced it, if that was an ability or something that you could have had on the N64, if he would have played it, I think you would have happily voiced it because this was just an incredible experience overall. Uh, overall, and, and you did mention the almost like the ironed on face effects, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but you have to remember, we we have the benefit of twenty five years of gaming since then, yes. and mm-hmm. at the time, that that looked really good to us. It did. It really did. It's <laughs> like, oh my god, that's actually James Bond up there. It's yeah. not just a series of really rigid uh facial structures and triangles that are making up our james bond's like no that's pierce brosnan's face yeah that's not just like mm-hmm. you know 10 different polygons colored differently it's mm-hmm. like no no no. that's that's a scanned face of an actor placed yeah. over a yeah. 3d model i know that guy i've seen <laughs> him before <laughs> yeah. but it's the truth though mm-hmm. and, and that's why this game is a triumph in many ways because it is a first-person shooter, as we've mentioned, but to your point about how GoldenEye really ramps up the gadget usage, one of the most fun things to do in this game was taking, you know, James Bond's watch, his little laser watch, and shooting off, like, the the metallic things that are sealing doors and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it, it was also the fun of taking, uh, you know, like, uh, mines that you could detonate you know, from a distance, yeah. you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, sure. We've had elements like that in other games before, mm-hmm. but as a James Bond character, it was executed really well. And yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, obviously there's a reason why it still holds up now. 
Exactly. There's nothing like knowing that uh, that tube of toothpaste is actually C4 explosive and that the floss is actually garrot wire. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's just pure on spy stuff, or you think it is, but then it turns out that the floss is actually just floss and the toothpaste is just toothpaste. And there have been tremendous advancements in the field of dentistry since the 1960s. So uh, just yeah. lots of fun spy things here. Yeah. Yeah, now there is one one thing about this game that I do want to deliver a fuck you to. And <laughs> that would be the last level of the game. Mm-hmm. Now in the in the James Bond, you know, in, in the GoldenEye 007 or GoldenEye movie, in the level they call it the cradle, which is like this big satellite, you know, structure that's over yes. this like massive, mm-hmm. you know, cement thing in in the middle of Cuba. And in the movie, a lot of people remember it. This is where you know, Trevelyan and Bond fight each other again, mm-hmm. and Bond catches him over the edge of the the platform, and he's like, for England, James? He's like, no, for me. And it's like just <laughs> dripping with 90s goodness. Mm-hmm. Well, the cradle in the, in the video game, it is the hardest fucking level of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even on like the mm-hmm. the lower levels it's like yeah okay the lower levels it's mm-hmm. it's just not it's not terrible yeah. but if yeah. you're trying to get cheat codes mm-hmm. and you're trying to do anything with this it doesn't matter what difficulty it's on when you get to the end of the cradle level you have to get down to that platform that they depict in the movie half the time you go falling off of that thing uh other times you get down there and like trevelyan sometimes mm-hmm. is doesn't even appear <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, then like, and then he's like, and then he's like right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times, Joe, especially on higher difficulties, that I played that level, and I jumped down to the platform at the end. And I go flying right the fuck off. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's one of those cases where you fuck up so much playing it that you start to get rid of like the suspension of belief that like obviously like this whole thing is like based off of a movie that's fictional and there's no way this would ever happen and you're sitting there like there's no fucking way osha would ever let this shit not have handrails i should not go flying off anywhere where is the regulation someone sue these people it's it's it's, it's the point where you get overly rational as a child because you are now irrationally angry well that level is screws up that level is so hard and mm-hmm. uh trevelyan you know who's the the bad guy you chase him throughout the entire level now if you're like cheating and you're really you know got all the codes turned on his health meter does have like a certain amount of hit points that if you just like shoot him with like the rcp 90 for mm-hmm. you know the duration of the level you could technically yeah. kill him you before you even get yeah. to the end yeah mm-hmm. but skip all that. yeah well and then you could yeah then mm-hmm. you could effectively skip yeah. all that crap but if you don't do that it can be a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's how most of us had to play it mm-hmm. was without cheat codes. And so even though uh, the last level of the game is a pain in the ass, I think the stakes are where they need to be. It's a mm-hmm. very stressful level. Yes. But mm-hmm. I just remember that, dude. I remember constantly hating on that level. Yeah. And, I mean, every once in a while, like, not every once in a while, but a lot of times in video games, you can play a very challenging level like that and walk away with a feeling of accomplishment. This is one of those times where it's absolutely not that. And you walk away being like, fucking shit, why did I do that? Like I could have done, I should have just went outside. <laughs> like I did not have to do that. Yeah. Which is oddly mm-hmm. enough how some people felt after playing the multiplayer when their friends picked <laughs> odd job as their character. Oh, fucking odd job, man. 
Like that was, it, no, no, like definitely like if you had a group of friends who didn't have a ban on odd job, like you were masochists and you enjoyed the hurt. You enjoyed yeah. the pain that came with playing against someone who was odd job. Because I would definitely remember playing with friends and be like, if you fucking pick odd job, you play one game and you're out the rest of the night. <laughs> you get one. <laughs> you're not doing it again. Uh, because he was bullshit. He was absolutely bullshit. Um, so if you're not familiar with odd job as a character, he throws his hat at people in the movies and that's how he kills people. Um, ridiculous premise. Again, part of the whole like Brazen ridiculous era. He's the kind of part of the start of that. So he's also a shorter human being. And in this game, he is laughably short compared to all of the other characters. And he's so short to the point where the game mechanics that are built in to try and make it so it's easier to manage, like there's basically an auto aim feature in this where if you're close enough, the, the, the crosshairs of your gun will naturally sort of drift towards the target. And this is true in a lot of video games. It's still there. Um, and a lot of times, like again, like the auto-aim feature can almost fuck you over sometimes in modern video games. Yeah. But it really did that with Oddjob. Because instead of like going down to his head, it would just force you to move above his head and swing past him. And it's like yeah. you can't, like you have to now fight this auto-aim fast enough so whoever is fast enough so that the person who is odd job can't kill you before you yeah. can compensate for the auto aim fucking itself up and i actually believe in 2018 uh the programmers of this game actually came out and said if you use odd job you were absolutely cheating yeah um <laughs> you were definitely cheating because they they even said that like when we were programming this and we were testing it we were playing it everyone agreed that it was unfair but yeah it was just like one of those things like here's the thing he is unfair but it's one element that can be in the game where you're with your friends and along with all the degrading remarks you're going to throw at each other and the things you would do to each other's mothers because that's just how we play video games oh yeah, um, yeah. and you're going to be physically jarring and, and verbally jarring each other this is going to add to that experience and just kind of make it more fun for everyone so there's no way we're taking them out I was gonna say most of the time it was like whoever the shittiest player was in your friend group got to play odd job and then yep. they felt like they had a chance <laughs> yes and then when they and then when they would kind of cop an attitude about it and stop being odd job then they get their asses handed to them like oh maybe i'm not mm -hmm. as good to go back to being odd job <laughs> yeah that, that was street justice back in the day mm -hmm. yes <laughs> <laughs> well, well either way mm -hmm. in the spirit of most games that we talk about here we don't want to give away everything but we do want to let you know a little bit about the history, a little bit about the experience itself and why we liked yeah. it, which mm -hmm. leads us into review time, Joe. Rating it's time, to start... time. Yes, give out some scores. And we start off, of course, with the graphics. Now, Joe, where did go the GoldenEye 007 work for you in terms of graphics in 1997? In 97, because here's the thing. Like, like, like we mentioned before, um, it's definitely, it doesn't hold up in modern day looking at the graphics of the faces of the characters. Uh, and seeing that kind of pressed on effect uh, sort of thing. It is like the equivalent of your grandmother sewing you a sweater on Christmas with like your initial like on it, like Ron Weasley style. It doesn't hold up and it's not flattering. But if you're really young, you kind of dig it and you're okay with it. So in this case, we were really young. It doesn't look great now, but we were young enough and we appreciated the amount of realism that was there uh, and that it wasn't just a series of triangles moving around and doing things. So for 97, 
I'm going four and a half uh, golden guns as nice. we'll be using this time. Uh, That's out right. Of five. We mm-hmm. skipped right over the uh, the unit of measurement. It is going to be the golden gun, the one mm-hmm. ha- the one shot kill. Yes. Uh, unless it's against Baron Seventy in the bonus level mm-hmm. where you have to shoot him like four times with the golden gun. But Jimmy, either way, it's fine. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm in agreement with you on the, on the graphics side of things, and the reason why I want to bring it up is because we've talked about Star Fox 64 coming out in the same year, mm-hmm. and the same thing goes for Turok. Turok came out in 1997 too, and was also a first-person shooter, much different-looking game. Yeah. Right. Agreed. So mm-hmm. I I'm going to give it a four and a half as well because. Boom. I'm not going to rate it against today's games. It's not fair. But when you no. look at the field back then, mm-hmm. like Star Fox 64 was a good looking game. Yeah. Very but good. GoldenEye game. makes Star Fox 64 even look bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but just from a graphic standpoint. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like it was somehow next gen, but within the same gen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, it, it yeah. felt that much different. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to gameplay, I'm going to also rate this one pretty high because mm-hmm. the gameplay for the time was revolutionary. And yeah. I was in a household that played a ton of Doom and Wolfenstein 3D. We would eventually play, you know, Quake and Heretic and all these other games like Unreal. Mm-hmm. And Goldeneye, from a gameplay standpoint, was, I mean, just so structurally sound. You know, there, there was only a couple places like we talked about where the game really gets kind of shitty <laughs> and, mm-hmm. yeah. and 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 that's near the end but mm-hmm. for the most part the gameplay was great you know and it was the right combination of like we talked about there's some stealth oriented things you need to do mm-hmm. there's objective driven things there's uh, timed elements of it and so it never really got to the point for the exception of one <laughs> one follow uh, quest mm-hmm. early in the game that just sucks. I hate having to follow companions. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it was a very is a varied and interesting game that allowed you to do what you wanted to do to get from A to B for the most part. Like it was linear, yes, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of stuff for you to do along the way. So for me, I'm going to give this a 5.0, man. Gameplay yeah. was solid. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I cannot argue against that on this at all because you went over everything that was great about like especially the single um the single player version of this the story mode uh and like you said there are a few deters to that but a lot of it is just uh some of it is just because they did make it difficult uh on on purpose and others are because well they did glitch here and there and that was not fun um but i think where this definitely makes up for that is in the multiplayer because that was such a a great experience that if you had some frustration in the main story mode with, you know, uh, 006 not showing up like he was supposed to, or you went flying off of the cradle, you could take it out on your friends and everything was better after that. So this is again, for me, because of just the, the amount of fun I remember having playing this game is, is five golden guns out of five. I thought you were going there, but I didn't want to fill in the, the chart here before that point <laughs> <laughs> which i honestly joe your last point i think really mm-hmm. plays into replay value yeah. which would be our, our next mm-hmm. metric yeah, what do, yeah. You, what do you want to say about replay value same like this was like i remember like i college rolls around and we had land parties with halo like 
every I think every week, every Thursday. And those were some of the funnest parts of my first like year of college. Uh, but before that was this. You had GoldenEye nights with your friends. And of course, you couldn't like link up your 64s together. You were limited to have four people playing at a time. But, you know, that was also just part of the fun is that you could get your friends together. Uh, if you had more than three friends and you were that cool, you could like swap out like lowest kills gives up their sticks. So you yeah. can move players in and out and keep keep people playing. And you had GoldenEye Nights before you had Halo Nights. And this was one of the, I think one of, if not the first experience where it was we got our friends together to have video game nights because of this game. And because of that, and how much I do remember going back and playing it and enjoying it, this is another five golden guns out of five for me. I don't blame you for it, man. I, when it comes to the replay value of this game, I remember my friends loving multiplayer because we, we obviously did the same thing, man. I mean, mm -hmm. I, was, I was on the other side of the country doing this exact same thing with my friends. And so the multiplayer, yeah, was definitely a big part of it. But then we also went back and would replay the single player mm -hmm. and see who could do, you know, double O uh, agent the quickest or who can beat this level the fastest or who can do it with the, uh, the, the best time and the most amount of headshots, man, you know, because there's so many. Before there were speed runs, man. Well, dude, there are so many different stats at the end of it that you could do mm -hmm. that with. And so. I mean, we were just all over every every mechanic of the game. And I dude, I remember we didn't have like the the executive like whiteboard and trying like or like the NFL draft room kind of thing mm -hmm. where you're trying to map out how to get the cheats and all that. Yeah. We got pretty damn close, man. Like we were sitting there trying to go, okay, here's what we gotta do to get to this. How do we do this? And a couple of my friends and I went back and tried to hit all the cheats, unlock every single thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was so much here to do. And once again, this was a full-assed game to play. Yeah. So for, for me, the replay value, incredibly high, 5.0 mm -hmm. out of 5.0. Which brings us to the metric that has made or, or <laughs> basically make or break for some of the games that we've reviewed. GoldenEye 007, dude, is one of those video games that, once again, I can't name... Mm -hmm. every track of the the, the game right mm -hmm. what i can do is recite almost every piece of music from this game mm -hmm. you know in my head and every single one is a banger yeah. and that goes all the way down to the pause menu <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, so for those of you that are listening mm -hmm. to the audio only program or program i'm sorry Joe and I watched a uh, a TikTok just before this this show began, and there's a guy who's talking about the <laughs> how they formed the the uh, pause menu music, and the guy walks in and he goes, "It's like, hey, we got a movie tie-in. We're not looking for anything crazy. Just need some low-key music for the pause menu." And then the dude plays it, and like all of us felt the same thing when you hear mm -hmm. the pause music for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like what the what is this <laughs> this is amazing yeah it's it's some sort of like i would say like trap version of like the the, the 007 theme and yeah. like it went way harder than it ever needed oh to. 
it, oh, it, it, it takes the best things of the 007 theme mm -hmm. but then it gives this like really intense but like low-key beat mm -hmm. and and it's like yeah it's like you almost feel like you're in a low rider and you're just kind of cruising along and and then with that n64 modified music interface it's just mm -hmm. it sounds so Jesus. tacky but mm -hmm. brilliant yeah it's, <laughs> it's like it's like i feel like it's, it's every everything great about the music of the decade um yeah. and that that emergence of well, we've been like techno um because we were swishing from like the the synth of the 80s to this that yeah. is that era's like heavily electronic music um and it was it was a fucking experience man Holy it, shit. it was it was and that's mm -hmm. and that's why for me there's very few games that get close to what this thing did especially on the platform it was on mm -hmm. and yeah it gets a 5.0 for me man yeah and this is this is ridiculous because they think this is going to be the highest score game we've ever done uh <laughs> Because it's the music is the same for me. Like it does this great job of barring what it needs to from the movie, um, and that's also again part of the experience. Is that like we said before, when you play this game, you feel like you're a part of the movie. You feel like you're a spy, and a lot of that does have to do with them taking music from the movie and using it here. And every once in a while, when you press pause, you get to have this experience of them like putting a twist on the music every once in a while and somehow taking what's already good and retrofitting it and making it better with, yeah. with a modern uh, music style. So again, it doesn't make sense how good it is, but it's five golden guns for me uh, <laughs> out of this one too. So this is the best, this is, this is the highest game we've ever rated. It got three perfect scores out of three metrics for, for both of us. Yep. And then the one metric that was lowest was four five for both of us. So, <laughs> We we have finally dethroned the leader of this, which was, I believe, wasn't that was that Star Fox? Was that our la was that the best one we had? Before? Actually, so to date, it was actually mm -hmm. The Walking Dead season one by oh, Telltale, which yep. scored the mm -hmm. highest. So ninety two point five or thirty seven out of a possible forty uh, at that point in time, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Walkers, right? But for Goldeneye, out of a possible forty Golden Guns, we've yeah we've got thirty nine for a percentage of ninety eight percent. Wow damn near perfection and i think it deserves it man it does yeah mm -hmm. it just does because deserve it. again i think again this was of the games we reviewed for so far i think it makes sense because this was one where it was a generation defining game and when we say generation defining it's like platform generation defining and i don't think we've reviewed a platform generation defined like defining game yet we have definitely yeah. had like definitely like very good games so far. Obviously, with with Tomb Raider and the Assassin's Creed and and Donkey Kong and maybe Donkey Kong, I guess maybe that was the closest with a generation defying um, game for like the Super Nintendo. Yeah, uh, but, but not again, even. Like, not even. Not even. No, because there yeah. were other there were better titles on the Super Nintendo than Donkey Kong Country. But yeah. I mean, this is just. It's one of those things where if you had a 64, this was an absolute must-have game for it. And if you didn't have it, you really hoped one of your friends had it so you could have those golden eye nights where you were you were again shooting each other and you were trying to get like keeping your your kills high enough so you didn't have to give up your controller. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seriously, it was. Everything I look back to on this game was was not just platform defining, but 
as far as consoles go, it, it probably was the most amount of time I spent playing games with other people. And I don't mm-hmm. quite count MMOs in the same way because yeah. it, I, I spent countless hours in front of a computer playing that, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But in, in front of a console, this was the game that brought people together no matter where I lived for mm-hmm. the better part of like six or seven years. It just did. So, yes. So there it is, folks. Mm-hmm. Our retro review, GoldenEye 007. And with that, we want to thank you for listening to Digital Dissection. As always, we appreciate everything that the Dissection crew does for us week after week. Your support goes an incredibly long way. We can't thank you enough because we've had some very, very, very good weeks, week over week for this show. And as listenership improves, we do appreciate you working with us on some of the issues we've had in audio. We know it's there. Joe and I both know it's there at times. So, (laughs) but you still keep listening. And so once again, we can't thank you enough. If you did happen upon this show by accident, which still sometimes happens, why not drop us a review or comment on the show? And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe just in general. But yeah, we love hearing from you. So feel free to message us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about your thoughts on GoldenEye and really any kind of spy stuff in general. Yeah, or like maybe people. do you have one of the badass, like, different colored controllers for the N64, one of the cool, clear color N64 controllers? Tell us which one you had to see if it's cooler than my fire transparent N64 controller, because I doubt it was. <laughs> I had the green one, actually, so... That's not bad. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. Not fire, but not bad. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, hey, folks... Feel free to share your future ideas for shows and anything else you'd like to discuss. And until next time, keep on dissecting. And don't you dare fucking pick odd job.